hello. Why don't you want to talk to me? Who is this? You tell me your name, I'll tell you mine. <laughs> I don't think so. What's that noise? Popcorn. You making popcorn? Uh-huh. I only eat popcorn at the movies. Well, I'm getting ready to watch a video. Really? What? Oh, just some scary movie. Uh-huh. What's your favorite scary movie? Uh, I don't know. You have to have a favorite. What comes to mind? Um... Art and Jacob to America is presented by the good people at... My fellow Americans, we are fortunate to be alive. They need them to protect us from the number one killer in history. Protect us from the Central University. A study on why we killed 290. A study on why it's called Demoside. Google it, folks. Demoside. Google it, folks. The world's coming to an end. Everybody wanted everybody. All the details about the line. That we had in our possession, had in our possession. There's an old saying in Tennessee, I know it's no Tennessee, 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 I know it's Tennessee, Tennessee. Welcome everybody to episode 123, hold me accountable Art, because I'm not 100% sure on that. Yeah, that sounds right. Alright, yeah. Yeah, fuck it. It's it's 123, everybody. I've lost count, man. <laughs> we are now in the third hour of the Art and Jacob Do America experience. <laughs> um, <laughs> so this whole month we are doing nothing but creepy topics, and this month we are going to be talking about the true stories behind the most famous Hollywood horror movies. So, um... Originally, we were supposed to be talking about voodoo, but we have my illustrious co-host, as well as another illustrious guest here, uh, the Mr. Sam Sheeran. Hello. <laughs> oh, yeah, and then Keith's here, too. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Our audience should already know who you are. The second most handsome man in the world only behind yeah. blake shelton well thank you um still claim to fame is that i'm jacob's cousin that's why i'm allowed to be on this podcast so a little bit know. of nepotism up in this bitch or a what? a little bit yep. okay <laughs> but anyways uh, uh needs no introduction oh yeah look at those biceps if you're watching on facebook <laughs> biceps for that chiseled chin looking like john ham over here i wouldn't say like biceps for days i'd say biceps for like a minute maybe Couple minutes. Uh, maybe till Wednesday. Okay. Like for the Sunday through Wednesday bicep. That's eh, stretching it. Okay. Anyways, better than me and Art, <laughs> <laughs> but not Sam. Sam is a very handsome man as well. Um, if you follow Sam on Facebook or uh, Instagram, he lives a very interesting life. Um, Sam, I was following you. Uh, you went to uh, what was the Mad Max Mad Max festival that you went to? The Burning um, Man. No, 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 no. Not Burning Man. It was called Wasteland Weekend. Tell us about that. It looks like super fucking awesome, dude. Yeah, we nearly died. Um, no way. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it was, it was 
amazing really it was um something that friends of mine in in the los angeles area have been going to for years and this was its 10th year that the people who've you know put this thing together it's been going sort of the 10th year anniversary and they have uh live bands playing literally in the middle of the mojave desert so fuck you're you're, you're miles from anywhere yeah um saying that there's you know there's a small little town with a gas station kind of um wrong turn style you know you kind of lost after that point. You're in the desert roads that don't become roads that uh. become just dirt patches and tire marks. And you kind of hoping you're going in the right direction. Ooh. And, uh, and yeah, you get there and then all of a sudden it's like an encampment of 4,000 people all dressed up. And as you say, like something from the Mad Max movies. Yeah. Um, and people take all their cars down there and these are sort of, not really road legal cars, but um, mm-hmm. I guess in America anything goes. You can drive one of these on the road. I don't know. It wouldn't fly in England, but um, you have these, you know, mishmash of vehicles all welded together from different parts. Mm-hmm. Some of them have got gigantic tires. Some of them are sort of half Volkswagen Beetle, half truck, um, and they have these giant spikes on flaming poles. It's all riveted together. It's literally a Mad Max movie, but oh, real. Yeah. And you live it. And um, they have this thing where you don't really take money to buy things there. They have little markets, and there's literally a barter town there. Oh, wow. uh, Where you can trade and swap things. But people sort of buy things with bottle caps. So that was interesting. You know, Um, I got food poisoning from some. That surprises me. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know what it was called, but I got got, um, whole pork. Um, and it wasn't even like the heat stroke and stuff. I had all this gear on to block out the sun or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we'd been drinking a little bit in the day and they say, you know, don't drink until the sun goes down because it's really not good for you. But I'm British and we we tend to just drink whenever we want. Um, <laughs> so a bit of vodka and orange as the sun was going down was really nice. And then I thought, you know what, I think I'm going to have something to eat. What's that little smelly meat thing over there? So I went over and there's a line of, a line of people, you know, and they're all eating sort of just stood in the desert eating this meat off these paper plates and i thought okay i'll get some of that and it was really nice and i was like oh that's great and then we went and saw you know some live shows and stuff and um again there's no wall there's no parameter there's no you basically turn up um there's like one little kind of almost like uh if you were crossing a border there's like one little checkpoint in the into this region and then once you're over this rocky little impasse you're you're sort of on your own and and there's just uh, an encampment of vehicles and they make these sort of little arrangements with flags pinned into the ground where you can park and that's about it there is nothing else out there and so later that night sort of uh the the sand and the wind came up on the last night and it was so windy and dusty you know everyone put their goggles on and it looked like the end of the world and then um our tent we had literally pitched a tent in the desert and uh, it was full of sand and dust. You know, by the time we got back, we were like, oh, yeah. great. We can't sleep in that. And you don't really want to breathe it in. Plus, the tent was about to fly away. It was that windy. God so we decided, to, uh, we decided to sleep in the vehicle. And then in the middle of the night, I woke up and I opened the door and just leant out and vomited everywhere. Oh. <laughs> and there's nothing better than vomiting in a windy sandstorm. Let me tell you that. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. Shoot. So, um, how many days was that? Because it looked like something like straight out of like Woodstock '94. It was like four days, but we only went oh, for the last shit. two. Shit, jeez, dude, I'm tired just hearing all that, dude. Like I, I, I yeah. like we, I've been to some brutal concerts, and 
I always say that like the first time I saw Metallica, which is like my all time favorite band, like I almost died. So I can only imagine the Mojave Desert, um, that that just the elements beating down on you because it's there, like you said, there's nothing there. There's no you can't walk into a casino like Las Vegas or whatnot. So oh. when I saw that, and then you got the like you see all these elaborate costumes because I followed, I went ahead and followed that hashtag. And you see all right. these like elaborate costumes. So it's not necessarily I, I mean i don't know how well yours was made but like how you it's had not a costume it's not necessarily like comfortable like you're not going to be comfortable <laughs> necessarily right I, I wore that all day every day oh um, and i built it myself what so. was it, it was I, like I didn't look. um it's just sewn together with um old um pieces of uh sports equipment um so you know like shoulder pads and knee pads and things but i i sort of uh stitched them all together and um, bolted them all together into sort of a big shoulder pad piece and, you know, just to kind of fit the scene. And then I built a helmet from three different face guards and goggles and things and put some spikes on top of it. And uh, nobody knew who I was, which was great. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was it. like the hills have eyes, you know, it was really yes. uh, survival of the fittest out there. There you go. Well, speaking of the Hills Have Eyes, this whole episode, we're going to be talking about the true stories behind some of your favorite Hollywood horror movies. So um, this was more or less uh, a last minute topic, because like I said, we were supposed to talk about voodoo this week. But due to scheduling conflicts, uh, we're going to do this topic. So um, the way I came up with this topic was uh, last week we were doing an interview with the Graveyard Shift uh, podcast. Um, and go listen to that podcast. Amazing guys. Um, they do paranormal research. Um, they basically ghost hunt, but they're like the real deal. They're not none of this like sci-fi channel. Like, oh, I felt, I felt like something pee on me. I think that was a demon. <laughs> no, it's none of that bullshit. Like they, they have their sources. You know, they they do their their due diligence. Uh, but one thing that caught me was that they kept bringing up the true story of uh, the Exorcist. Uh, what that was based upon. Um, but I guess it was based upon a situation that happened with a boy in 1949 called Roland Doe. Um, who later on was identified as Robbie Monaheim. And but basically, um, you know, the, just like the exorcist, this boy, you know, went into convulsions and, you know, was speaking Latin. And um, some accounts say that he even levitated out of his bed. And then, you know, later on, you know, William Blatty writes the novel, The Exorcist. So I thought no better way than to discuss some of our favorite horror movies and the true stories behind those. So, Art, what do you have today? Um, so, you know, I was talking to you about the movie Scream, right? Mm-hmm. That, which and, just surprised me because I thought like that was more or less just like a parody movie of, you know, like 80s, like typical 80s slasher movies. Yeah. I, I really love that. I have a lot of love for that movie just because it revitalized horror movie. Horror movies kind of start feeling like a joke at that point. Yeah, it became manufactured. Like everything was Jason. Everything was Freddy, you know, and it was just like very uh, passe, I guess you could I, say. At I that think point. we're in that. Again, I feel like we're th- we're there again for mm-hmm. horror. Well, horror hasn't felt interesting to me in the last like ten years, and now especially that we're like rehashing like here's it again, yeah, and here's Chucky again, and then yeah. it's like here's the fortieth Conjuring movie and the fortieth <laughs> whatever. Like nothing original has really like come out that like blows my mind in the last like ten twelve years. Um, but anyways, that one was really special to me. I was going to mm-hmm. talk about that one, but I decided to talk about Fire in the Sky. And Fire in the Sky, have you guys ever seen Fire in the Sky? No, but I've heard oh, about yeah. it. Oh, yeah. Oh, there have you, you go. Oh. I met the guy. You met the guy? Oh, hell yeah. This is going to be way more interesting then. Yeah. 
Yeah, you talk about it, and I'll fill you in later. Sweet. Oh, right on. Uh, so are you referring to Travis Walton? Is that who you're referring to? Absolutely. Or? Okay, Ooh. so this Travis Walton story, essentially this is from his point of view. And the movie is actually pretty much, I wouldn't say a shot-for-shot recreation, but it's pretty close to, I guess, what the events that you would see on a Wikipedia or something like that. So I was going to write it all down and like note, note it down, but then I was like, no, nah, that's kind of... 1942. Yeah, and I was like, I hate that. So I was, <laughs> so essentially, you know, the movie tells the story of, and the and the Wikipedia will follow its, its pace pretty well, but essentially it's a group of lumberjacks that are around the woods, and they're basically just out there working. I believe it's Arizona that they're working in, and uh, all of a sudden they see a light off in the distance, right? And the thing that makes it like so much different than any other UFO story is that basically one of the guys in the party, uh, which is Travis Walton, who uh, Sam has met, which is pretty cool. (laughs) But, um, you know, uh, basically he gets like shot with like a a beam of light and is like not seen for his 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 uh, compadres go ahead and take off without him and just like dip. And basically, like, there's this police manhunt now because they think that they killed him and, like, hit his body mm-hmm. out in the forest. So, I, I believe his body... he No, not his body. He is found five days later. And he's just found wandering the streets. Um, and, you know, basically, he starts having these recollect- recollections, recollections of everything that happened to him while he was gone. And it's basically, like, this alien abduction story that's, like... And which backs up the story that they had. You know, he didn't know this because they were getting investigated by the police. But mm-hmm. basically, when they find him, his story matches the story of his his friends. His friends. It kind of reminds me, real quick, not to cut you off. It reminds me of George Saint Pierre, the the mixed martial artist uh, from USC. Uh, he was talking on Joe Rogan's podcast about how he would just find lapses in time where. You know, and Rogan was like, oh, that's CTE. You know, that's concussion right there. How, how, see, one of the things that always bothers me about Joe Rogan is he makes a lot of claims. Like, that's CTE. CTE can't even be found in the brain until you die. Mm-hmm. So it's like, so, how is he making those claims? Anyways, so he was telling this story about he was training in New Mexico, and um, they were seeing some shit in the sky as well. And then you ask each and every person that was in that car, I believe like Rampage Jackson was in the car and then, you know, a couple of the head coaches and they're like, yeah, like word for word, like they each retell the same story, like almost to the T. So that, that it reminds me just of that. Yeah. So by the way, CT can't be found until you die. <laughs> just want to point that Thank out. Thank you, Dr. Art. <laughs> Joe Rogan is not a mental health professional. He needs oh. to stop that. But anyways, um, <laughs> but it, eventually, you know, the, the stories do match each other, you know. One was, you know, as soon as the they made it back into town, they talked to the police. The, that's the story that they got, that they saw a light, and they would basically chase their truck, and it shot a light at their friend and basically took their friend. And they all stuck by that story. When he shows up, he basically says the same thing, like, I was, like, swallowed up by this light. And he basically tells a very vivid, um, like, telling of what happened to him while he was on that spacecraft. And it's pretty creepy. And this is one of those things, especially if you watch this movie when you're, I think I was, I want to say like five or six when I saw this movie. So it's like an older movie. Then. It's a pretty old movie. So um, I saw this and it was like, it blew my mind. It's creepy as fuck because they do it in a in a way where it's like, he's at a welcome home party, right? So he's uh-huh. back and his family is really happy that he's back. And all of a sudden you start getting these like flashbacks of him being like kind of tortured by aliens and they're sticking a tube down his mouth and like uh. it's it's very graphic and it's it's creepy as fuck and like 
it's a great movie. <laughs> everyone <laughs> everyone really needs to watch this movie. If you haven't seen it, go watch it, especially if you're into aliens. But and it's one of those stories that till I think he's never like changed his story at all. Like is, is he still alive, Sam? He's still alive, right? Sorry, what was that? You you breaking up? Oh, is uh is Travis still alive? He's is... Absolutely, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. cool. Yeah. I think he was also on a game show at one point in, in his life where it was like a you know when like Fox in the late nineties were were having like these like celebrity boxing or what? No, it was kinda <laughs> like um they had him they had him go on this like show where it was like um you had to guess if this person was telling the truth or not. And then so like oh, okay. he and they would hook him up to like a lie detector and um I believe he passed his lie detector. But then he's done that whole. Is that the one where like Marsha Clark was on there or something like that, or uh, one of the O.J. Simpson lawyers or something was like on there as well? I don't know. It was like one of those things. Did that you say the N word? Fox was like really big. You know when they were doing like the yes. magicians reveal the top secret. It was like one of those like I'm a child of the hot 90s, button type yeah. of things, and it was basically that. It was like hooked up to a lie detector machine. Like it was all this bullshit. So yeah. I'm Jordy from Star Trek. Jordy yeah. <laughs> from Star Trek. Did you really travel in space? Um, but yeah, so essentially like he did, he did get plugged into a, to a lie detector and uh, I believe he did pass, but he has failed other ones. Cause he's done that same mm-hmm. shtick on other shows where he goes and like plugs himself up to a lie detector. So yeah, I don't know. I mean the, the truth is like somewhere in the middle on this one. I think possibly I do think, it's hard for me to like not believe his story just because he's it sounds so realistic and you hear mm-hmm. it the sincerity in his voice and, and it's that same region where you see shit in the sky there's all these stories again george st pierre that his whole training camp saw something uh what we was that phoenix light the phoenix that? lights we haven't talked about it but you know there's things like missing 401 that happens in that area that, that region of like the sequoias and all mm-hmm. you know the uh the Nevada Triangle. There's all these like weird um, things that happen where people spot strange lights in the sky, and especially in in that area, you know. And and like not to get too off topic, but it is a big Bigfoot region of the country where like people report seeing Bigfoot. So um, you know, all kinds of strange things happen in the woods. So um, I kind of believe them. I'm a I'm a UFO believer, you know. Like I, I believe in extraterrestrial life. So. Sam, I don't know if you won't have any input since you actually met the guy. That's pretty badass. Sure, yeah. Um, well, for anyone who doesn't know, I, I do a lot of book illustrations and things for um, for documentaries and, and covers and stuff to do with the unexplained. So every now and then I'm fortunate enough to meet some really interesting people from around the world that have either had, you know, as you say, Bigfoot encounters or, or anything to do with UFOs or even ghosts and things like that. And... Um, Back in, I think it was 2012, um, I went to a conference uh, near Joshua Tree called Contact in the Desert. And this happens every year. It's usually in May, I think. And it's it's around, you know, 2,000 people sort of get together and um, the organizers rent out sort of a church hall conference type area. And um, me and a friend of mine, we booked a sort of motel a couple of miles down the road. And every day we would drive into this conference and we'd see speakers give lectures and things. And some of them are ex-military. It was all to do with UFOs and aliens mm-hmm. and things. So some of them some of them were like ex-military, ex-government. Some of them were just authors. Um, and a lot of them were experiences. And Travis Walton was there. And because I was fortunate enough to know some of these people who've written books or, you know, some of the media people. We were um, invited after Travis's lecture. He did sort of like an hour talk on his experience, and he's written a book on the experience and things like that. 
we were we were fortunate enough to spend the evening with um, a, a couple of experts in that field, including Travis, in one of the sort of private chalets, and we all got drunk under the stars, and he played guitar and sang and stuff. Actually, really, really good guitar player, um, and it was a blast. But we got to talking to him about, um, you know, very politely because I'm sure he's sick of telling the story. But you know, um, we said, you know, so can you tell us anything that you've never told us before kind of thing? You know, it's one of those golden moments where you think I have to ask him if I don't, I'm going to kick myself. Yeah. Um, and so we basically said, you know, so what do you, what do you think of the film? And I saw that at the cinema when I was a, you know, young teenager, I think it was 1993, 94, maybe, I don't know mm-hmm. when it came out. Um, and yeah, it's a fantastic film. As you say, it was, it was, uh, it was scary. It was disturbing and it was nothing that I think anyone had ever seen before on the big screen because it wasn't to do with ghosts or, you know, monsters or things. This was an alien film, but it was a horror movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, we got talking to Travis and everything and, and his take, and I've heard him in other interviews since and he now, you know, talks a lot about it in his lecture. He really doesn't like that film. Um, because he says it, it, it really isn't what happened in terms of everything up to the abduction itself is pretty accurate. He says it's pretty on the nose. Um, as you say, he did go, you know, missing. He was gone for five days when they found him. He thought it was one night. They said, feel your face. You have a beard. Um, and there was all this kind of, they, as they do with any film, they kind of exaggerate things for, mm-hmm. you know, they add a few things that are not real just to make it more interesting. Um, so all the flashbacks didn't really happen. He just has these memories. Um, And what he'd said was actually more disturbing than the film. Um, So much so, um, I'm not going to take too much time telling this because there's so much information behind it. He said that's one of the reasons. That's super interesting. This is super interesting. I I would rather, this is like, if we only got through this, like, damn, like that's some exclusive information. (laughs) This is going down some roads I never thought we were going to go down. Sam, the floor is yours. Feel free to take as much time as you want. Invested <laughs> well, in the story. It, I'll make it quick as I can. I'll make it quick as I can because we do want to discuss the horror films. But um, <laughs> long story short, um, it, it, Travis said, you know, there was so much more disturbing material that the filmmakers were like, we, we can't even film that. Yeah. Um, you know, so, we can't even fit that into two hours. Uh, it's just not going to play. So when they brought in the screenwriters to sort of concoct this whole other sort of structure to the, to the story to then put it into a film format. Essentially, it just completely changed the story that really did happen to Travis. And so he's a little kind of um, still to this day pretty pissed about that. And he wants at some point for this film to be truly made in the way it will be. And maybe it will be in 20 years. Who knows? Someone will maybe do the true story or whatever. But he's since had a documentary out. I think it's called Travis. Um, true story of Fire in the Sky or something. But he has a, his own book out, Fire in the Sky. I think it's like an autobiography of the account. Um, but yeah, after meeting him, he's, he's sound as a pound, you know, he's super, super intelligent, um, super polite, very, very well read, uh, nice guy. And at no point did I think to myself, yeah, right, whatever, dude, you know, he, he was absolutely, uh, he, he put it this way. He's like, you know, what do you do when something like that happens? You know, you just carry on. There's nothing else you can do, but carry on with your life. You know, you're not there's no answer to that because it's just so bizarre. So he just kind of goes through life with, with the answer of like, Oh, well, um, I can't do anything about it, but this is it. This is what happened. And so he says that when, um, when they pulled up to the object in the woods, 
he was like the the sort of lively clown of the group or whatever he he got out of the truck and ran over to it and the other guys were like what the hell are you doing and he's like i just want to get a closer look and he went over and he ducked down behind like a tree fall like a, a log that was laying down and he was uh hiding behind this thing really close to this what he describes as a flying saucer he said it was literally a saucer not like the film they portrayed it as kind of like a glowing giant acorn or a or a bulge of fire upside down. He says it didn't look like that at all. He said it wow. was literally just a flying saucer. Um, he said it kind of had a pearlescent glow to it, you know, and there was like a humming drone to it. So me and my friend were just kind of, our jaws were open, like, go on, go on, go on, you know. And um, and he says he stood up to get a sort of closer look, and he says a, a beam of light or an energy beam of some kind flew out of it mm. and knocked him about, 30 40 feet backwards and he just lay there and his guys his friends were they thought he was dead so they just drove off in terror oh wow you know they just left him there um and then halfway down the hill they said stop the truck we've got to go back and get him uh, a couple of the guys were too scared so they said well fuck you get out we're going back so those guys got out of the truck and walked home because they were too frightened to go back the other guys that went back uh they went back to the scene they couldn't find him it was, he was gone and, um, you know, they spent hours out there until they said, you know, we, we have to tell someone, we have to tell the police. So they, they went back to the town immediately, told the sheriff, and there was like a search party. They never found him. And as Art was saying, you know, there was, at that point, fingers were being pointed because previously he had fallen out with one of the other guys. And they thought, well, was there some kind of grudge here? Was there a murder? You know, until, as he said, he turned up. Um, and was delirious for days and then eventually came around and said, guys, this is, you know, this is what I remember. And he said when he woke up on this ship, he was on a table and there were, he said, uh, five or six little guys, which were typical sort of gray alien, big bulbous shaped white heads with black eyes. But they were wearing little red suits like pajama onesies, uh, which is really weird. Like Mork and uh, Mindy? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, I, I guess so, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and he freaked out because he didn't know what they were. And so he's, he was like flailing at them. He said he managed to like hit one in the face and they, they sort of silently walked backwards. And then they kind of were trying to restrain him and hold him down. And then he said he grabbed this uh, object, some kind of implement, which was like um, some kind of, I don't know, an operating tool or whatever. And he, he was like, it, it was glass of some kind or whatever. And he swung at it and hit one of them again in the arm and they backed off allowing him to get off the table and run out the room and he ran around and down this circular corridor and he you know he he doesn't know where he is he doesn't know if he's on a ship or or somewhere else and then he he manages to find this this door which is like an exit off this ship and then he goes down these stairs out of this craft and he's inside a giant warehouse so all of this isn't in the film this is what his account is of his true story so he says he's inside this giant warehouse. Now, he doesn't know if it's actually a warehouse where this ship's parked or if he's on a mothership in space. He has oh, no wow. idea. He has no idea. He said he was just guessing like anyone else does from his description. He says he can't say because he doesn't know, but that's what he saw. He was in some kind of giant hangar, uh, which could have been a, another bigger craft. He doesn't know. Um, and then he sees a guy, and here's the strange part. He sees a guy who's straight up a human, just another dude. It was like this a blonde-haired guy. guy, right? I don't know if he was blonde or whatever, but the guy was in uh, a military-looking space uniform, 
Um, I say space uniform, like, you know, the fatigue kind of outfit you put on before mm-hmm. you put on the big bubble suit. He's, he's wearing like a space suit and he has like a glass helmet on. And Travis is like, thank God. Oh, my God. Get me out of here. Where are we? The guy doesn't say anything. And so Travis thinks, well, maybe he can't hear me because he's got a helmet on. So he's like, you know, tapping the guy on the shoulder, shaking him, saying, you know, let's go. Let's go. Trying to mouth the words, get us out of here. And the guy puts his hand on the shoulder and then beckons him this way, this way. And he goes back on the ship and he's like, what, where are you going? What are you doing? He's, and he's, the guy's like beckoning him. So he's like, well, who else am I going to trust? So he follows this, what he thinks is a person, onto the ship who leads him down a corridor. And then, unfortunately, back to that same room where these things grab him again and hold him down. And then they put like an oxygen thing over his mouth and he passes out. The next thing he remembers is when he's found by his friends five days later. But that's that's the apparently the true account. Um, since then, Travis has said, you know, he's changed his idea of of why he was hit by that beam and abducted. He says um, when he stood up, if you think about um, an electrical arc, if you get too close to something, the ne- the nearest thing it conduct with it will jump at. And he thinks that maybe when he stood up from behind the log, some kind of uh, static charge connected to him. And he thinks it was maybe an accident uh, and it wasn't like a weapon or anything. He says maybe he was just stood in the wrong place. And he thinks that maybe he was abducted because these aliens thought, oh, shit, uh, I guess we better fucking help that guy. We just nearly killed someone. Now, like if you oh, hit wow. a dog while you're driving. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so these aliens have picked up this, you know, as, as you say, a dog that's been hit by a car kind of thing. Whoops. Um, and they, what is this? Monkey? Take him to the local bet. <laughs> yeah, they fix him. They fix him wherever they took him to and then put him back. He says, if they wanted to kill me, they probably would have done. He says, I don't know why they brought me back. He says, the only thing I can think of is that maybe it was an accident on my part standing up and it was just stupid time, stupid place, and that they actually rescued him. He thinks it's the other way now. So it's interesting. But yeah, yeah. there you go. Kind of takes Not the, so horror. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of takes the, yeah, you can see why Hollywood changed it because it kind of takes the the allure off of it. Yeah, Hollywood you know, are like, that's not going to fly. Nah, we need yeah. blood. We need guts. We need explosions. It is really creepy. We need doves exploding in the background. When they show that scene in the movie, they, they do a really good job making it as creepy as they possibly can. Mm-hmm. Oh, and fantastic. and it's, it's the traditional gray aliens, but I don't know what they do to them to make them look slightly creepier than, than like what you would imagine in a gray alien. But they yeah. do they do a good job for for a movie that came out in like '93. They do a really good yeah. job. There, well, that same year as Jurassic Park came out. Then that's right, yeah, and that's, that's still that still holds up today. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Well, you know that that's the thing. Like CGI, that thing will look old in like two years. The like CGI Thanos part- already looks like shit. Like, and he just came out like two years ago. <laughs> but like Jurassic Park, it's like God damn, that looks still that looks so good. The original like '94 Jurassic Park. Yeah, or '93. '93 Jurassic Park that looks really good. And not only that, like to me, like with the CGI, um, not to get too far off topic, but like it was more of a like a bridge as opposed to like the whole you know the whole pie basically. Where like you know you see Transformers, yeah, it's fun to look at. But like that's all the movie movie is is just CGI. But when Jurassic Park came out, it was more or less like you have like Tom Savini, like you know those like real artists, you know, putting their heart and soul into making something like you know the the Velociraptor. But hey, we can't get a puppet to do this, so we're just gonna bridge it with a little bit of you know computer animation. Titanic the same way too. Like I mean, yeah, say yeah. what you will about that. They were, they were finding a good middle ground between CGI and live action type mm-hmm. of thing. 
Yeah, I agree. Because even like as much as I love the movie The Thing, like the movie The Thing, you know, you, you, it hasn't aged very well. <laughs> it's good. It looks cool. Some of the scenes still look yeah. great, but it's like you only have so many like Blade Runners. Like I think Blade Runner, like that shit comes out today that looks brand new. Like that's nuts. Didn't they use like uh, miniatures for that? Like a lot of that? Possibly. Yeah. I mean, the you, technology was so experimental, but it looks good. Like Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. In uh, Blade Runner, some of the buildings, I think it's the Opera House, is actually leftover molds from R2-D2. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's insane. Like, yeah, you same thing see, with, like, uh, the no. movie Alien and Aliens. Like, looks so good. By today's standards, that still looks good. It holds mm-hmm. up. Like, that's the whole trick, I think, with CGI. Or with just special effects in general. Like, it's, like, to make it as realistic as possible. I mean, that's to oh. me, that's the art in it. I'm so watching Blade Runner as soon as I can just to try to spot those. You I'm say R2-D2 watch- or C-3PO? <laughs> Oh my god! Yeah, so there's excited. loads of little leftover pieces from Star Wars uh, things that Lucas used, or you know, basically allowed them to use and sort of cut them up and respray them black and put little LED lights in them to make the city. But you you can see a lot of stuff in there where you're like, hang on, that looks familiar. Yeah. <laughs> Let me get my old VHS and pop that in there. <laughs> Such there a great go. movie. <laughs> Anyways, uh, the next uh, movie that I wanted to t- or movies I should say and TV show. Um, is inspired by something that Art actually brought up a couple of episodes as well. Um, I'll let you talk about the actual real story of it because you probably know a lot more about it than I do. But um, it's amazing to see how this one incident, this real-life incident, inspired not only a couple of classic horror movies, but also um, inspired a TV show as well as real life as well. Um, Last episode when we were talking with the guys from The Graveyard Shift, um, we were talking a lot about with um, exorcisms and whatnot, some of them that might not be real, you know, the people might not be actually possessed, is the power of suggestion. So I'll get into that a little bit too with this. But um, what I'm talking about is referring to is Robert the Doll. So Oh, yeah, Robert the Doll. Uh Uh-oh. Robert the Doll is originally owned by Robert Eugene Otto, I believe. Correct. And so um, Robert Eugene Otto believed that Robert was such a real entity, like a real other person, that he refused to call himself Robert. He Robert was a doll. So Ro- Robert started calling himself Eugene. Mm-hmm. So he kind of lived the rest of his life as Eugene. The The origins of Robert, <clears throat> the, origins of Robert the Doll are kind of mysterious as well, just because... His grandpa bought him in Germany um, as a gift to Robert, you know, right before. I believe he wasn't born just yet, but I believe he was just, like, about to be born. It was going to be, like, a birth present for, for him. So, um, and, and you know, it's like anytime you find something in a... Because I believe it was used. I don't think it was a brand-new doll, but it was the same company that made the teddy bear, so it wasn't, like, old. It was more, like, an expensive toy. The good people at Parker Brothers. Yeah, essentially, yeah. <laughs> so, like, it's the same company that makes the teddy bear. So, mm-hmm. um, it wasn't, like, that abstract, you know. It wasn't, like, found in someone's basement or anything like that. But but it, I don't I don't believe it was bought new. I believe he bought it, like, at a, like, high-end retail store, which I guess was common for this time period. I heard this, too. Yeah, was the actual body of the doll was bought like, like that. But then I guess, like, the maid or the servant or whatever... Um, actually, like, customized the doll for him. Mm. And she was actually a partitioner in, you know, Haitian voodoo. I have and, heard that version of it, but I that, that I mean, version of it always, like, kind of throws me off. It's a gray it, area, yeah. Because yeah. I was trying to find backups to that story as well. But, hey, 
Don't let the truth get in the way of a good I story. I heard that they like fired her, and then they were like, she put a curse on the doll or something. Correct. Yeah. And that she actually used real hair from the child and like supplanted the actual doll hair with his real hair. Used actual clothes that the child would wear as well. And yeah, like all this like creepy like. To me, up shit. the first creepy thing is so after Eugene dies, real Robert, like he lives a whole like eighty-two years. Yeah, or he takes the doll with him everywhere he goes. He, you know, eventually. He um he he dies and his wife dies. I believe it was like four months later or four years later, something with the number four in there. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't have the notes. I'm doing this off the top of my head, but um so um I believe once he dies or and and his wife dies, they mm-hmm. sell the house. So this is a very common practice, you know, old school practice of selling the house with everything already in it. So like yes. you're buying the house with the furniture that the person had before. So what was that? I heard a weird voice. Sam? Was that Sam huh? or a ghost or a demon? <laughs> um, <laughs> by the way, Sam, you need your own podcast. You have the, the most beautiful voice I've ever heard. So <laughs> We <laughs> said this last time, I think. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't here well. last time. I just want to echo what these guys said. So anyways. Um, <laughs> um, I actually wanted him to do the intro to one of our shows. Like I forgot which one, but I'm like, dude, Sam, that'd be awesome if you did or this. Or you need to do audiobooks. Get on that, man. <laughs> So uh, I, I would I listen hear this to all the time. I'm actually planning my own podcast as we speak. So beautiful, oh, nice, man. I'm already subscribed. <laughs> Sorry to interject, but yeah, I just bought a book, The Complete Guide to Maverick Podcasting by Micah Hanks. So um, I'm currently reading that, which is amazing because it, it's got all kinds of things I didn't know. Huh. Sweet. Yeah, man, I, I'm I'm stoked. I agreed with Jacob. I'm already subscribing to your podcast. But um, yeah. Anyway, so. Essentially, the new owner moves into the house. I don't know if you have the new owner's name or if you yeah. have that. But anyways, the new owner moves into the to the to the old Eugene residence, um, and this is where it gets really creepy because this part is a confirmed part, unlike that former maid kind of yeah. thing. That seems like a little more like far fetched. But this that one, reminded me for, for like tales from the hood. Remember, like there was like that little part with like the little voodoo dolls voodoo, were coming to life. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, there's a really terrible joke in there. I don't want to repeat it, but it always like I don't is know. It a little were... penny joke. Uh, <laughs> I'll say it off when when we get off the air. But anyways, um, <laughs> so anyways, this part is confirmed by that owner. But they eventually start hearing footsteps in the attic where the doll was being kept, and they start hearing child's laughter in the attic. And basically, they're I don't think they last very long. They're just like fuck this. I I think. They're just they're just done with the with the doll in general. The the doll itself it's currently residing in another like Key West museum. It's actually once you and it was just housed there too. Like it wasn't even for display because I guess like a lot of paranormal paranormal investigators were looking at him like yeah there is some suspicious activity within this doll. Um, you know, and bad shit would happen. <laughs> no, like suspicious this is it, it's, no. It, it's funny. It's funny you say that because this is one of those things where like I kind of agree with Jacob, even though I don't subscribe to like ghosts or demons or anything like that. This one's always extra creepy just because it's at the airport or it's, it's across the street from the airport. So the minute you get onto Key West, because Key West is a little like far off, like from like where Miami is or whatever. Mama. So <laughs> it's the doll itself gets its own room, right? In the in the entire museum, it gets its own thing. The background of of the doll is basically all the letters, and they give you this warning before you walk in there, saying if you go in here and like basically talk shit or anything like that negative towards Robert, like you're bound to get like bad luck, or someone in your family will have like some kind of like tragic accident. Or so, if you take pictures of him without permission, like documented, like I looked this up, like 
your camera will fuck up, your phone will fuck up, something will happen. And then even to pre- uh, precurse this is that 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 lady that bought the house, like a lot of unfortunate events would happen to her to the point where she mm-hmm. said, fuck this. And then, you know, the investigators, they took it. They said, something's up with this. And the museum took it and didn't even put it him on display, just kind of like housed him, kind of like, you know, ancient Egyptian artifacts that, you know, might not be, huh. you know, on display for the Smithsonian, just kind of like stored it. And then, you know, you know, the story, you know, gained traction, you know, in the mid nineties, Fox, you know, did a you know profile on it or whatnot. And then, you know, they started to put them on display. And then that's when they started to see all these new occurrences. Yeah. So the whole like room around him is full of letters and candy bars that people like bring to him. Cause essentially people say that he's like the, the soul of a child or something like that. Like he has the, 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 the attitude of a child, like vindictive as a child would be, <laughs> you know, yeah. if he talks bad to him. So like, it's pretty interesting. I, I one of the most interesting things I've have heard of Robert the Doll are the employees of the, the museum, and how like they all say like he just seems like a doll. I don't understand. Like they never say anything strange about him. They're just mm-hmm. like he's just a doll. Like he basically pays for me to have a job because I have to guard Robert the Doll, which I think is like the greatest thing ever because you know they have a job because Robert the Doll is there. And so. Robert says you're welcome, yeah. America. Ba- basically, <laughs> he is the economic stimulus plan we need in this country <laughs> robert need more robert the doll robert 2020 <laughs> get on that ticket baby uh but the another interesting thing about robert the doll is his influence on popular culture and movies of course yeah this is, the, the uh, this is interesting uh, chucky or what is it? i don't know what you're well, referring to obviously yeah the most obvious one would be the uh, child's play series oh, you know, okay. I, they've done like 17 movies or whatnot chucky's bride yeah chucky's bride is clearly the best one really no i'm just kidding. i've never seen that dude I'm actually interested to watch the Aubrey Plaza remake just because I like Aubrey Plaza. Yeah, but I've only seen the original one, and that's it. Really? I was never, I never found it scary, so I never went. Yeah, down me that either. Road. Yeah, like even as a child, like when it came out, because it came out in '88, I would have been like what three. I remember my dad brought that movie home when I was three. Joe, he brought that movie home. <laughs> hey, Pelon, this is a good idea. You're going to watch this movie right here. I remember my cousins were petrified of it. They were like, wow. oh, Chucky, Chucky. And I was like, we watched it like one late night. It was you more know, of a comedy. It's it's full. Like, imagine like these like nine-year-old Mexicans, right? Or not even nine. <laughs> we were like six years old, six years old. And like, I remember thinking like, like the hype of it being scary like never got there and i was like wait that never got scary i just felt dumb the entire anything i feel like i can fight and beat is like not scary to me (laughs) (laughs) and the whole time i was like come on kid you you got some chingasos let's throw them baby (laughs) just fucking burn them or whatever yeah so anyways yeah of course like art said you know child's play you know chucky was inspired by robert the doll um but one that i thought was super interesting where you know real life kind of mimics you know, fiction and then fiction mimics real life kind of does a little ping pong here is Robert the doll in 1963 influenced a twilight zone episode called the living doll. Oh yeah. That I didn't know that. I didn't know that influenced that one. Yeah. And I, you know, watched the the actual episode is on YouTube. You go on there and watch it. It's pretty, it's, I mean, it's, it's a 1960s at 63 episode of the twilight zone. It still holds up pretty good. Is it scary? No, but it's pretty creepy, you know? And basically the story on this is, you know, um, you have a single mother and she has a child, a daughter, and, you know, she marries some, you know, asshole dude that, you know, is a a horrible, you know, stepfather to this daughter. And she has this doll. Um, it's kind of like the doll from toy story, uh, four, like the, the main bad. Yeah. It's just like a regular little doll. Yeah. Yeah. A little like, and then like yeah. it says shit you know you pull the string and it says shit right and so the 
<laughs> and so the uh, the stepdad, you know, is like, you don't call me dad. You call me Bill. And he was this very horrible person to um, the little girl. And so one day, you know, he goes and he takes the little doll away from the little girl and throws it into the trash bin. And when he throws it in the trash bin, it says, I'm Lucy Lou. You better be nice to me or I'm going to kill you. And he's like, what the fuck? And then, like, you know, <laughs> throws the trash out or whatever, right? And then, you know, long story short, you know, because I'm not as interesting as Sam here. Um, <laughs> the doll comes down um, out of the trash and, you know, calls the uh, father on the phone saying, I'm going to kill you. And the dad, all disgruntled and Republican, is like, what the hell is this bullshit? And he thinks it's... Republican. <laughs> <laughs> he comes out and he's like, who's, who's, who's messing around on my phone? And so he goes out and he see he thinks it's the wife and he's getting ready to the, to beat the wife. This is an early sixties fucking America here, and the wife is like in bed with the little daughter, like reading like Little Bo Peep or whatnot. And um, he's like, "Holy shit, who could have that been?" Because cell phones haven't been invented yet, and the cell the telephone's in the kitchen. And so when he comes out, he sees the little doll that he threw away on the bottom of the staircase, and he runs down to go fucking grab her, and trips and falls, and. The mom is like, oh, my God, my my new husband's dead or whatnot, picks up the doll and says, you know, the same thing. Hi, I'm Lucy Lou or whatever the doll's name is and says, you better be nice to me because, you know, I'm guarding the whatever the little daughter's name is. And what I thought was interesting about this story is, is that the mother's name in this episode was Annabelle. Oh, yeah. So with that hmm. said, um, in 1968, Ed and Lorraine Warren, famous demonologist and exorcist, they have a case uh, where there is a possessed um, Raggedy Ann doll. Is that yeah, what it's it a Raggedy Ann doll? Yeah, Raggedy <laughs> Ann doll called Annabelle. And I'm trying to do all. I mean, Ed and Lorraine Warren, their their um, stories. I mean, that that deserves its own episodes on their own. Yeah. So I won't get too They're far. They're best. Yes. And so I'm trying to like do my due diligence, like how did this Raggedy Ann doll get the name Annabelle? And as it turns out, they just Ed Warren would kind of borrow aspects from Hollywood and you know TV and literature and apply it to some of these cases, and then later on write you know books about it, you know to continue on with their you know crusade, I guess you could say. So, and then you know Annabelle and ends up becoming you know a very popular. Uh, horror movie yeah, franchise. She had her trilogy, man. Yeah, she's Was got it, a trilogy. Is it a trilogy or she definitely has two? She has three. She has three. Three. There's one where she just plays like a side character, right? The first Conjuring. She's I like the side hustle person. Yeah. 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 That's nuts. You know, what, you know what's really funny? Did you guys see the uh, the DC movie Shazam? Oh yes, I did see that. Okay, so real quick, um, the Annabelle sort of uh, we'll call it the Annabelle universe, if you will, with Conjuring and all of that kind of thing. Apparently Shazam is part of that because there's one scene right at the very beginning of the film where the kid, Billy Batson, goes into a, a, like a junk shop or a store or something and the actual Annabelle doll, because it's this, under the same umbrella of the same studios that were all connected that made the films. Warner Brothers, they actually, yeah. They actually put the doll on the shelf in the background, so it's like an Easter egg. Oh, wow, that's pretty cool. In Shazam, the Annabelle's actually in that film. They gave it almost as much for promotion as they did... Um La Llorona. La Llorona got <laughs> yeah. no love as part of that universe. Yeah. You know, yeah. Annabelle's actually an Easter egg also, too. Like, I just remembered that in uh, Aquaman. Like, I guess, like, um, there's a scene where Aquaman and whoever the redheaded girl is, like, they're in a ship 
like the little mermaid and there's all these trinkets and what's it's and whatnot. And there's like an Annabelle doll, like sunken at the bottom of this ship. Like I haven't these... seen it, but yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. <laughs> That's what I thought I you were going with that. it. Yeah. I'm going to have to watch that film just for that scene. Yeah. Then turn it off because Aquaman is a horrible movie. Like Shazam is actually just... a great movie. Aquaman yeah, is horrible. <laughs> oh, what do, what do you got? What do you, that, got any other stories? Anyways, we, guys. Know, we talked about other movies. We talked about how, like, movies kind of go off. We talked about Texas Chainsaw Ma- Massacre, right? Yes. And we were talking about how it borrows a lot from, like, Ed Gein. Yes. And, but really, it's not a full, like, it's it's not based on Ed Gein in general. No. And it's not, there was also a murder that I believe happened in Tennessee that was similar with kids running into you know a stranger and he kills them but he doesn't do the texas chainsaw massacre so it's basically like this merger of two stories i believe hollywood just has this like reputation of doing that to movies which you know i don't blame him because texas chainsaw massacre the original is like god damn that's mind-blowing by today's standards like yeah so do you know what's crazy too and like i don't know how true this is but you know when i was just doing my power research at work today um uh, we all know that Michael Myers is mask. You know, that's basically a William Shatner Halloween yeah. mask that's, you know, painted white or whatnot. But somebody said that, that Leatherface's mask is actually Julia, a Julia Child's mask, <laughs> just like, like, like cut up a little bit or whatever. That <laughs> fucking English or uh, French uh, cook really? host or whatever. That's nuts. Hmm. Yeah. Like, I didn't know this. that. Like, look that, that picture up or whatnot. Just tell me that doesn't look like julia Julia child's mask now i need someone to fact check that but that was one thing that popped up i thought was pretty (laughs) pretty funny have you seen um speaking of michael myers and and the mask i think he's known as the shape or something yes okay so um so as you say you know quite rightly there it's originally a, a william shatner mask and they just took the eyebrows off and cut the hair a bit and sprayed it white whatever um and it's terrifying sure and oh yeah when they recreate it and make it a bit more wrinkly and everything else, some uh, bright spark, you might have seen this, made an amazing comparison with the mask as it looks now. Um, and it's almost uncannily similar to Mariah Carey's actual face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I'm not even joking. I'm not even joking. If you Google that now, Mariah Carey Halloween mask, you'll see the comparison. And I think she tweeted, um, people, please stop sending me this. <laughs> <laughs> that is funny and it really does look you know it, it's even creepier when they put her hair onto michael myers because <laughs> <laughs> keith is looking at it right oh, yeah. now <laughs> yeah. it's amazing it is it's oh yeah those, it's the cheekbones man <laughs> yeah yeah it's that it's that mouth oh that's Dang. funny um another interesting one before i get into the <laughs> another creepy one <laughs> I'm sorry. That's beautiful. She has like a super plasticky face, which makes sense because the mask is made out of plastic. But like her face is like so goddamn like leathery, leathery, and like <laughs> full of like injections. What are those injections called? To like Botox, keep, Botox, Botox injections. <laughs> like she's so fucking phony. It makes sense that the, the thing closest to her face is a mask. <laughs> <laughs> what was that? Lo Cool J Halloween? Was it Halloween H two O? Uh, oh no! It, it wasn't. Sure. It wasn't LL Cool J. It was um, uh, it was some rapper. Oh like, damn! It was Buster Rhymes. No way! Yeah, it was Buster Rhymes. Oh wow! Oh, he worked with Mariah Carey or Mariah Scary, whichever. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she, uh, 
Yeah, she didn't they do a song together or something? Buster Rhymes? Or I, I believe it. Yeah. You know who? Um, yeah. Who's the guy that did um, that Parent Approved rapper? I forget his name, dude. What Mace? No. Parent yeah. Approved, like fucking Coolio. Yeah, Coolio. Did you know uh, Coolio's cameo in fucking Batman is like one of the funniest? Wait, what? Wait, yeah. yeah. Hold on. Wait, a minute. that's a real thing. Yeah, look up Coolio and Batman. It's one of the funniest cameos because it makes no sense. It's like, what are you doing in here, Coolio? Which Batman? Uh, it's like Batman Robin. It's not a good one, dude. Oh, okay. That's like, why, because I don't think I ever saw that one. That's terrible. The one with Arnie. Yeah, yeah, it's bad. Everyone's like glow in the dark for some reason. Yeah, like somebody like put a <laughs> nightlight on the jizz stain, and that's what they made the <laughs> set out of. There he is. Oh yeah. wow, yeah. that's cringy, oh. dude. Yeah, apparently there's like some governor of like Missouri who's like a huge Batman fan, and he's been in every Batman movie. Really, he was in the Nolans. He was in that one. He, he, you know, the guy that's like the old man that goes up to the Joker in the Christopher Nolan one. The one's like, we won't put up with thugs like you. That's him. Yeah, that's (laughs) him. He's been in like almost every Batman movie. How the hell do you get that gig? I don't know. He's just a huge Batman fan, and he plays himself in the Batman versus Superman movie. He played himself. Really? Yeah, I guess like he's in that trial where he's like, "We're gonna convict you, Superman," and then like the building blows up or something. Oh, okay, that's oh. him. So he, yeah, he's a reoccurring character. Damn, DC like, is getting a lot anymore. of love. Yeah. <laughs> huh. Anyway, speaking of a lot of love, uh, the next film again, one of those like stereotypical, you know, '80s movies or whatnot. Um, I thought it had an interesting story. Um, is the Nightmare on Elm Street, 1984's Nightmare on Elm you Street? You know what? I saw that on here. I saw that on the list of movies. <laughs> Movies that were based on actual events, and I was like, "How the fuck is this?" Ba- it's so loosely based on. Actual oh yeah, events. so loosely based. There wasn't really a real man that got burnt to death for molesting children, but um, well, there might have been. I don't know. After, yeah. Can I can I talk a little bit just about my experience with this? With molesters, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Keith, there's something so, you need to tell us. I don't know no, if you want the not millions. on the air. And millions of Art and Jacob <laughs> listeners knowing about your molestation story, but go ahead. I'll just uh, thinly disguise it and you know <laughs> tell you guys in metaphor as I talk about this movie. So, okay, as a kid, I used to think this movie would have to be like the scariest thing ever. My mom would not let me watch it, and so my whole life I went not knowing about Freddy Krueger. Like I knew what he looked like, but I just thought it was like the scariest crap on the planet. And so, probably like two or three years ago. This is when I moved to Montana. So it was the first Halloween I was in Montana. My wife and I rented the first Nightmare on Elm Street. And I was just laughing like the whole time. Yeah. Especially when it comes out of the bushes and stuff like at the... It's a comedy. It's so terrible. That's how I feel about the Poltergeist movies. I'm so let down. Yeah. It's all comedy. Yeah. I remember when when I was a kid, we had Poltergeist on VHS and I was so afraid to watch Poltergeist. (laughs) And I was like, one day I like manned up the courage. I was like seven or eight years old. And I was like, I'm just going to watch it. The scariest thing though about Poltergeist is that lady with the weird voice. Yeah. She is scary. Because that's her real voice. Yeah. You can't fake the funk on that bullshit. You can't fake fake, uh, emphysema. (laughs) (laughs) Is she still alive? I don't know. I doubt it. She was like 80 in that movie, so... I don't know. I think she was. I think she was maybe seventeen. <laughs> I was gonna say thirteen, but I was like, I don't want to ruin. Her. <laughs> she just. She was just unfortunate looking. Yeah. Yeah. God bless her though. She made it farther in Hollywood than I did. So, but anyways, a nightmare on Elm Street. I thought this was interesting. 
Um, only because like 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 Keith said, like I think of Nightmare on Elm Street, and I think like I just automatically just cheese like, oh, okay, this is just like a movie you go see like on date night or whatever, like when Halloween is about to be upon us. So, anyways, I was reading, you know, what inspired Wes Craven. I guess it was like a lot of real life events, a lot of um bullies that he grew up with i guess was an actual fred krueger was a bully that used to bully Wes craven so you know god bless that bully you know for giving us Wes craven um <laughs> and you know just a lot of you know things growing up even like the sweater like that has some kind of significant meaning i guess like those colors he read were you know the most clashing colors to the human eye and um but the interesting thing is when he actually put pen to paper and actually came up with a script for Nightmare on Elm Street was it was a series of LA Times articles where um they would document um in the 1970s Southeast Asian immigrants you know from Laos, Cambodia and Vietnam you know they would come over and then they would experience um situations where they were afraid to go to sleep like they they thought you know they were going to die if they went to sleep and then one gentleman you know, it was so bad, like he was up for like seven straight days. Um, you know, the doctor prescribed like super powerful uh, sleep pills. You know, he's like, hey, you have to go to sleep. You know, there's no reason that you have to be afraid to go to sleep. And he goes like, no, no, I can't go to sleep. Like something bad is going to happen to me. And, you know, he would, the family would give him the pills or whatever. And then like later on, they would find like those pills, like he threw them up and put them behind his pillow and whatnot. Um, but yeah, one day he actually, you know, after, of course, after almost seven yeah. days of no sleep, your body is going to succumb, you know, to the need to sleep. And eventually he passed away. Um, no in his sleep? In his sleep. No explanation for it, you know, no heart attack, you know, nothing that would be associated with um, sleep deprivation or whatnot. Just, he just mis- mysteriously died. And, you know, they actually found like a Mr. Coffee, like in his closet, you know, with hot coffee, just ready to go, you know, because that's what was keeping him up. And it was the most mysterious thing, and they could not explain it. And it was just these these Southeast Asian immigrants, you know, escaping, you know, war-torn countries. Now, eventually, you know, technology, you know, progresses. And a lot of them think that, hey, it was something to do with the chemicals that, you know, that were in the bombs. You know, a lot of Agent Orange was out there. And yeah, man, mustard gas, it'll fuck with your nerves. Yeah, so uh, they, they assume that that's what was going on. But in the 1970s, they're like, what the hell is this? People are just going to sleep and dying. So Wes Craven thought that was a, a magnificent idea for a horror movie. There's an Are You Afraid of the Dark episode that's very similar to that. I'd never heard that before, but it was basically like this old man. And like if he fell asleep, like all these like ghosts or like dead bodies from the ocean would like wash up on shore and like get to him and kill him. So he would constantly like drink caffeine and try to keep himself awake and all these things and like. It reminded me a lot of the, of what you just said. That's pretty interesting. I'm pretty sure you know that was inspired by the same Pro- thing. Probably. One thing too, I'm glad you brought up. Are you afraid of the dark? That's like one of my all time favorite like TV shows because it holds up even as an adult. Like I remember staying up till ten just to watch. They're that. bringing it back. Shut up. Yeah, they're bringing it back. I think it's going straight to Netflix too. We're getting some DiGiorno and we're yeah. watching that shit. Okay. Definitely, man. Um, <laughs> Anyways, one of the craziest ones, uh, to refer to last week again with the graveyard shift, um, guys, they talked about, hey, if you ever smell sulfur in a cold place, get the fuck out. That means, you know, something paranormal, something really evil is there and present. And I remember a couple of weeks ago, I was trying to go to sleep. I couldn't go to sleep. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to look up some old Are You Afraid of the Dark episodes. And one that stood out to me, and it's still it still creeped me out to this day, was the ghost that was in the swimming pool. And, you know, 
at the end, you know, it it's like they would before the ghost would, you know, abduct somebody or drown somebody, you know, you would get this overwhelming smell of sulfur and whatnot. But the creepiest part about that is, is like the nerd guy, the hero, he like throws like some chemical compound that, you know, makes it so oh, you can so you can see the actual ghost or whatever. And that is like the most freakiest shit that you ever saw like on PG television. <laughs> but interesting. Are you for the dark, man? Shut Underrated up. as fuck. Okay, but from on like a level of like I don't know Scooby Doo to like Mysteries of the Bible, how scary? Because I've watched Mysteries Are you of the Bible. Are you afraid of the dark? Too, I would say it's like a three out of ten, four out of ten. But it's so it's not it's the same as um like what was the movie the not Outer Limits um Twilight Zone Twilight Zone like I don't think Twilight Zone is scary. But they're just fun to watch in the sense that it really gets your mind going. Like, that was a well-told story. Mm-hmm. Sometimes not well-acted, but very well-told stories. For a children's program. Yeah. I was specifically talking about, because, like, no, I mean, nobody even knows, like, Mysteries of the Bible. But, like, Jacob <laughs> me and me <laughs> used to stay up late as hell, like, when we were, like, 10 years old. No, 6, 8. I don't know how old we were. Yeah. And, like, that show used to scare the crap out of us. <laughs> um, so, I'm just trying to figure out, Jacob, in your opinion, is... Are you afraid of the dark? Scarier than Mysteries of the Bible, dude. To, to put put it put it down right here, dude. Nothing is scarier than Mysteries of the Bible, <laughs> okay. motherfucker. The Exorcist isn't even scarier than Mysteries of the Bible. Mystery of the Bible is a we fucking. Could, we could have like listened to a, a freaking. You know, we could have been in Sunday school that morning talking about like, and this is. You know, Joshua fought the Battle of Jericho or whatever. And then, like, <laughs> that night it will be like, Mysteries of the Bible. Joshua was there and the walls fell. And we're like, oh my gosh, <laughs> so scary. <laughs> you know what? That's all the way they would tell it. <laughs> to come full circle, I think that fucking bitch from Poltergeist, that weird lady from Poltergeist, <laughs> I'm assuming, she, I think she was the one that narrated because that's what made it scary it was like some creepy old lady, like, that looked like. Hagatha, like her name was probably Hagatha. Was she like has a good agent then, man. You can't blame the oh, agent. Dude. <laughs> you have a so creepy voice. Scary. I won't find those old episodes and just like get scared so out of them again. Where, what would you say is a scary movie for you? Because we all seem to come from different backgrounds of things that make us scared. I will say there's been a couple for me that have bothered me at the time. I don't know that they would now. Um, when I was about 17, I watched The Exorcist and that one freaked me out. Like not to the point where I didn't even want to take a shower like by myself. I remember my sister like, hey, uh, will you just come and sit in the bathroom, like sit on the toilet and just talk to me <laughs> because I don't want to be alone. Dude, and, the Exorcist, uh, I, I, maybe I'm fucked up, but the, I, the Exorcist never made me fearful. Like I, I, I actually I laughed know. at the end. Like I'm fucked up in the head probably. I probably would laugh now. Like I don't yeah. think it would freak me out, but for some reason at that time. And then the other one that really bothered me was Silence of the Lambs. Not not that it necessarily like scared me, it just disturbed me. Mm-hmm. Like the dude, you know, with her, the girl in the well, and all that crap, or wherever she was. Like, oh that yeah, was, yeah, like that just turned my stomach. Spoiler alert! I mean, I'm just, kidding. Oh, I'm just kidding. If you haven't seen it by now, <laughs> what, what about you, Sam? What What would you consider like your brand of fear? Um, well, coming from a background of horror and and uh, being one of the you know major influences in the artwork that I do and everything else is is much like yourselves. Nothing really scares me. There's no particular one film or even a genre in, in that sort of subgenre or whatever of horror that, that really makes me go, oh, Jesus fucking Christ, I can't watch anymore or hiding behind a pillow. You know, even as a kid, there was nothing that was really, um, you know, if I was six years old and I was watching Hammer Horror with Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing, <laughs> that, By the was, way, that was uh, awesome. Go I on. love Christopher Lee. Oh, yeah. He's something else. Um, big fan of him. 
Um, but, you know, I think the, the scariest thing for me is being um, sort of six years old. And my mum would put on this, this uh, this is back in England when there were f- maybe three or four channels on the TV and that was it. And we had a small little color television in our living room. And I'd be sitting on the couch and she said, okay, you can stay up late and watch this, you know, horror film. That's fine. And I'm like six or whatever. And before the film would start, um, there would, it would be like a white screen with a clock in the middle of the uh, screen with, with um, the hands just slowly ticking around. And eventually when those hands got to midnight, the film would start. And as the more it did that, the, film, the screen would sort of like drip with blood slowly and slowly and slowly. So it was almost as though there really was blood pouring down your screen. Um, and it just, the, the, you know, it just intensified the fear of what you're about to see. And that was far more scarier than the film because when the film started, it was like, whew, now I can enjoy the movie. You know? <laughs> well, that's <laughs> it over was, with. It's totally different. But I think if anything does disturb me these days, I think... Um, you know, you could almost put it down to throughout the decades, there's different uh, nations that kind of hold the crown for horror. So you could say, um, you know, in the 60s or 70s, you know, it was a toss up between Great Britain and, and America. And then in the 80s, it was definitely America. And then in the 90s, it was sort of, you know, all over the place. And then in the early 2000s, I think it really, the pendulum swung right over to Japan. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, even. Even Korea, you know, and I think for the 2000s, especially the early 2000s, you know, the first 10 years, maybe um, the Japanese uh, films that were then dubbed and sent over to Europe and America, which then became, you know, remakes of The Ring, Ring, Grudge, all that kind of thing, Dark Water, you know, Tale of Two Sisters, all of these films. um, Those are the most disturbing, frightening characters and creatures I've ever seen. The tension, the, just the lighting, the, the the makeup on these things, everything was so fucking disturbing because they're all based on actual Japanese ghost stories, mm-hmm. um, which, so, you know, all have their origin in something. Um, but, you know, when you've got this sort of pale-skinned, um, skinny, Asian, long black-haired girl creeping under your bedclothes and you lift the bedclothes and she's in the bed, I mean... And she's not even making any noise. She's just going, uh, whatever. That, for me, is utterly terrifying. And then you turn around to look away, and there's a little boy in the corner, you know, and he screams, but there's no sound coming out, all that kind of shit. <laughs> I, I kind of agree with you. Like, one of my favorite movies of all time is the movie. Have you seen the movie Audition? Oh, oh yeah. Yes. I, own, I own that one. <laughs> so I love the movie Audition. I think it's, like, one of the most terrifying movies. But the villain itself is not meant to be creepy. You know, she's meant to be a cute girl. Uh, you know, yeah. so it's that to me is is the scary part when it's something that we want or crave in our own lives. You know, it's something that you know we invite into our homes. That to me is always like creepier. You know, also things that like kind of fuck with my mind. Things like I saw Jacob's Ladder when I was pretty young, and I still think about that. Like psychological thrillers will always fuck with me. So like Jacob's yeah. Ladder's up there that, for that me, and like it's in my garage right yeah. now. Yeah. So it's like <laughs> it's, I think it's, they're remaking it's, that right now. Oh, are they, dude? That always scares yeah. me when there's remakes, like the Suspiria remake. I I refuse to that watch. Last night, how was it? Awful. Oh uh, yeah, see, I'm, <laughs> I refuse to watch it just because the the original Suspiria is like amazing. I, yeah, yeah, I love yeah, that movie. This, I'm not gonna ruin anything, but the new Suspiria. I watched it last night, and um, 
you know, me and my girlfriend are sitting there and we're thinking, okay, yeah, this is great. Tilda Swinton's in it. Awesome. Tom York from Radiohead did the soundtrack and the score. Fantastic. You know, we couldn't wait. We'd stick it on. And, you know, an hour in, we're like, Jesus fucking Christ. This film is so drawn out. And um, it's just utterly disappointing. Really, really bad. As, as much as I love Tom York and Radiohead, like, I don't know if he can ever top what Goblin did. Like, the Goblin thing, that music is just like oh, some, yeah. some of the most yeah. fucked up music. Like, if you play that to, to yeah. the average ear in the middle of the night and they woke up to that, they'd probably like shit their pants because <laughs> it's that disturbing. <laughs> so, speaking of this, they like, hit the brown note. You're talking about the average person. <laughs> <laughs> so like we were talking about these Japanese horror films right and I just had this thought and I just wanted to bring it up so you guys could think about it too remember back in the day like I think it was like the first Phantom movie that was made where like the dude takes off the mask and there was people like fainting from like terror talk- at his face are we talking about uh, Billy Zane the Phantom I can't remember who- <laughs> the, the, the superhero the Phantom I'm talking Phantom of the Opera like, oh Phantom of the Opera so like it was like an old movie like super old I thought old. you meant the purple Phantom yeah, superhero so no <laughs> <laughs> I still have that McDonald's cup, I think. Like, you supersize your oh. fucking meal, you get a phantom cup. But, like, okay, so the idea of, you know, people back in the day being terrified of, like, Dracula, like the mm-hmm. old, like, yep. old Dracula, like the really old Phantom of the Opera movie. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Lon Chaney, all that, So mm-hmm. just imagine showing one of them, like, the grudge or, you know, whatever. Like, <laughs> <laughs> they would shit themselves. They would just, eh? Like, would they, they die? die? Like, they Do you think they die. would actually die of terror? I well, think they would die of fright or they would go insane <laughs> instantly. Yeah. You know, when they first started doing like moving pictures, one of the first thing they did was like the shot of a train coming directly at yes. the audience. And like that's people right. freaked yeah. out and ran out of the theaters. People were like, a train is coming <laughs> at it. So like if that's what it took to scare people back then, then yeah, yeah they would probably like shit. 22 skidoot out they, of that bitch. Yeah. The suicide rate would go up. You huh. know what it is though? It's like fear. Like human fear is just fear. It naturally comes from the unknown. That's what's that's, that's what's scary. Yeah, yeah. and then scarier. Yeah. yeah, because your mind doesn't know because it's not familiar with it. We're accustomed. I mean, we see Freddy Krueger and we laugh because we've seen it. We've grown up with him. You know, there's we know what it is. We just know it's a guy. You know, with makeup on and whatnot, right? But you know, somebody back in the day sees that like, oh my God, it's a demon. We need to go to Pentecostal church for about seven days and cast them out and throw, you know, <laughs> because a lot of a lot of exorcisms now, I, you like out, there's there's pre the exorcist movie and post the exorcist movie. Uh, they brought it up uh, last week as well with our interview with the Graveyard Shift, where you know a lot of stuff that you see with the power of suggestion is stuff that people have seen in you know the exorcist movies or you know the. Emily Rose movie or whatnot yeah. or the right. So they're just bringing they stuff that, that they've seen. Yeah. They did that with Hereditary, didn't they? I mean, I don't yeah. know if you guys oh. like it or hate it. I, I hated, hated that it. movie. I thought it was absolute overrated gash. I yes. agree. I agree with you 100%. I have refused, Over, yeah. I refused to like, watch, a, what's that, Midsummer or whatever it's called, the, the new one that the oh, director I heard, did. I, heard that was, I haven't seen it. I heard it was good. But then I heard Hereditary was good and it was same. Sh- My sister told me it was really boring, so I, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to watch it. But yeah, as you're saying there, you know, Hereditary, they just stole scenes from other films and put it all together. Yeah, exactly. That's what I said. Yes. You know, speaking of like the unknown you were talking about, one of my favorite movies, and you might disagree, this is just like a personal taste for me, but I love, love the movie, the original Blair Witch Project, you know, 
just because yeah. you never see the villain. You don't know if it's a psychological thriller. You don't know if these people are just losing in the forest. And they sold it as a real thing because you didn't, like back in the 90s, this is like early internet. Like yeah. you didn't know what was real and what was not real. You yeah. couldn't go to Wikipedia and, this time. And that movie will never like age because it's timestamp I mean, 1994. Hmm. At the time, you could go online and research it because they, they put out, um, you know, information about it months ahead i think it was almost like a year ahead of the release they they had put a website out of these strange murders that are actually there they built a real newspaper that surrounded it that case files they made it out to be a real thing so that if you went and researched it you could find stuff that's so awesome yeah they did and such a props to them and they did a no, no one had ever done that to. before you know so when you go see this found footage film which turns out to be real if you actually looked it up you know um it was terrifying of course none of it was real yeah. We know now. I, but, and the yeah. genius thing, too, about it is, is they borrow a lot from the Bell Witch, right? And yeah. so when you would look up stuff, like, because I'm thinking back to, you know, 1999, you know, TRL and whatnot, like people looking up stuff. So it'd be easy, like you're looking for the Blair Witch, but then you're also, you know, going to run into the Bell Witch. And a lot of people are going to cross, you know, contaminate yeah. their research with that, which is also a fucking yeah. creepy ass story. N- not just that, but like things like the Pine Barrens in general Correct. and like, you know, Jersey Devil. Jersey Devil and like it being haunted and the witch that was associated with the Jersey Devil and like all these things. Like, you know, it would be very hard to find that because it's such a local tale. You know, it, it would be like if we did a movie about the Padre Hotel being haunted, but we didn't the call Wasco it that. Clowns. We would just call it the Haunted Hotel or something, you know? Yeah. And so like, it would be very difficult because I think every local town has its version of that story. Mm-hmm. So oh, yeah. I can, I can yeah. see how it would be very difficult to find and research that topic. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of things that actually scare me. So like, like I said, I watched the exorcist. The first time I watched the exorcist, I laughed. I'm like I said, I'm probably fucked up in the head. Um, <laughs> and I'm famous for saying this to Keith can attest to this as a kid. Like I'd be like, I always used to say stupid shit like, Oh, pain don't hurt. Or I'm not afraid of anything. Right. But the things that do uh, like, strike fear into me is like real shit like if there was a lion in the middle of the road like yeah of course i'm gonna be afraid you know there's a fucking lion in the middle of the road mufasa's gonna fuck me up right i'm not that strong i'm not that fast (laughs) um another thing that scares me too is traveling to mexico now i (laughs) i I, fuck that like i i i've seen breaking bad i've seen like all the narco uh documentaries the show and whatnot and that just scares me because that's real shit you know like that's corruption like you know the, the government's not going to save you the police department's not going to save you you're you know thousands of miles away from anything you know you can't escape you know and that's that fucking that that's a deep-seated fear in me like i told my girlfriend like i i am not going to mexico like fuck it i don't care our friend ben went to mexico and the whole time like i had like you know I felt like a fatherhood over him. Like I was like concerned for him. Right. And so I texted, um, art earlier today. And I remember watching this film, uh, probably like 2006, 2007. Oh yeah. Borderland. Borderland. And I did, I thought it was like, whatever it's like you, you hit the nail on the head. It kind of felt like hostile or something like that. It's such shitty acting that I couldn't get into it. It was just something I, you know, it's a you know when Netflix came out back in whatever, and everybody was watching every movie on Netflix, as you did back in nineteen ninety or two thousand two thousand six two thousand seven, like you know that was like the the high point for Netflix. I think like I was watching everything on there, Troll Hunter, everything that was on there. <laughs> I was like all about it. This is another one that was on there. I was just like time to watch this because they had some good stuff on there. I, have you ever seen Dead Girl? Dead Girl was on yeah. there. 
Dead Girl was kind of the same thing where it's like really shitty acting, mm-hmm. but I liked the concept. So I was like, oh, I'll give this a try. And then I kept giving the shitty acting a try. It was just such a hard pill to swallow. Yeah, like, it's a chore to watch. Yeah. Talk about not scary. Like I was like, yeah. oh God. And it kind of reminds me too what you guys were talking about with like Fire in the Sky where like the actual story is creepier than like that what was, you know, portrayed in cinema, right? So yeah. uh, Borderland is basically about um, this guy, um, Adolfo Costanza. Now, it's funny that I would pick this as one of the uh, movies that I wanted to talk about because originally this episode was supposed to be about voodoo and whatnot. Um, so we have this gentleman who probably deserves his own episode, you know, cause I went full like Charles Manson research mode on this. We're, we're still recording that podcast, by the way, the fucking Charles Manson episode or whatnot. Episode three. Yeah. <laughs> the deal years. Um, so anyways, you have this gentleman, Adolfo Constanzo has similar traits to, you know, most serial killers where he has a fucked up childhood, you know, his mom, you know, is in and out of, you know, abusive relationships or whatnot. You know, he's from Miami, already a pretty fucked up place to begin with. You know, like that's, we get this picture, you know, South Beach, you know, big, beautiful butts and, you know, sexy people or whatever. But it's a really, you know, hardcore place, you know, and you know, it's, a, you know, a big, you know, place, you know, for drug smuggling, you know, with the cartels. And this is where this gentleman, you know, comes into prominence. So um, he also uh, comes from, a, you know, a Cuban background and his mother is a partitioner in a form of voodoo. Um, not to get into too much detail of it, but, you know, he gets involved in the religion and it's not to say it's, you know, the main form of voodoo, but it's a sect of it. You know, where they really believe like in, you know, animal sacrifices and whatnot, you know, to bring good luck and good fortune. So he gets involved with, uh, you know, some cartels and basically his job is to bless, you know, the cargo, (laughs) the cocaine that's coming in, the heroin that's coming in, you know, the marijuana that's coming in. And it's actually working, you know, and he's, you know, he has his cauldron, you know, and he's sacrificing, you know, little monkeys and uh, chickens and whatnot. And like, it's crazy. Like, I think at one point, like he even had like he or apparently had uh zebra parts in there and whatnot but like yeah different blessings you know so wait they're importing like exotic animals for him to sacrifice it's it's fucking miami dude (laughs) and so you know he like every blessing you know demands a difference um you know recipe if you will different stew if you will and so it gets to the point where he's you know not only an employee for you know the cartels and the narcos and whatnot but he's also saying hey I'm granting you great access, you know, to these ports and you guys aren't getting caught. You guys are making millions. I need to be a partner. And, you know, of course, you know, these narcos, they're like, you know, like whatever, dude, like, no, like, fuck you. Yeah. Just do what you do. You know, cook your zebra parts and, you know, give us the blessings that we need. Cause art talked about it too, because in this region of, you know, America, you know, black magic and, you know, Santeria and all that, like, that's a big thing down there. And, they, you know, uh, Santa Muerte. Yeah, Santa Muerte, yeah. Yeah, that's a big thing there or whatnot. So, I mean, they're cartels, but they still have a spirituality to them, even if it's, you know, more of the that realm of it. So, anyways, they kind of tell him, no, you cannot be a partner in this cartel. So what ha- ends up happening within the coming weeks, you know, he's got some underlings under him, is that mysteriously the main people from this cartel go missing and they end up finding random body parts of these cartel members, you know, spread around uh, the lands and whatnot. They're missing spines or missing spleens or missing hearts or missing 
pieces of brain. And logic states that, yeah, he's probably got, got, had them killed and did some kind of, you know, blessing or ritual with those body parts. So eventually he joins another cartel, which is more than willing now to make him a partner. So out of fear or just out of like, probably they saw the value. They saw the value, <laughs> sir. They, they saw the return on the investment. Okay. So they are, he was ROI positive. Yeah, he was ROI positive. <laughs> so again, you know, it has to progress. You know, no longer can he use, you know, just zebra parts and pythons and whatever for, you know, exotic animals and parakeets and whatnot for his recipes. So he starts, you know, digging up cadavers and whatnot and, you know, using, you know, actual human bones, you know, for his blessings or whatever. And then it progresses past that to where he says, okay, this next blessing is going to have to take, you know, an actual live sacrifice. And it cannot be a sacrifice from somebody that, you know, just an average person, because now he's living in Mexico City. And it can't just be, you know, just your average, you know, Pueblo citizen or whatnot. It has to be, you know, somebody of high stock and high intelligence. So what happens is, is there's a a pre-med student or a med student that's, you know, vacationing in, you know, Mexico on spring break, and he gets abducted. And what happens is, is he ends up killing this individual, you know, uh, takes him captive and uses, you know, some of his body parts, you know, for his uh, recipes and whatnot. And eventually this gentleman, you know, tries to escape and he ends up catching him and um, basically decapitating him with a machete and then using his brain for his next blessing. So <sighs> long story short, um, he kind of fucks up where, you know, he's in a hotel and obviously the authorities are after him at this point, right? as fucked up as the Mexican authorities are. They're like, okay, this is where we draw the line here, right? <laughs> Can't have you cooking fucking, you know, med students' brains or whatnot, right? So he's at a hotel, you know, there's a drug um, transaction conspiring where he's at. And, you know, the cops come for something totally not associated with what's going on in his hotel room. But he sees the cops. He starts freaking out. He starts shooting at them. And, you know, the cops, you know, were like, get him. And so he runs, you know, throughout the hotel room. And then he decides, oh, my God, they got the place surrounded. They're coming after me. I don't want to go to jail. So he orders uh, a couple of his underlings uh, to take his machine gun and to execute him and his, um, I guess, his girlfriend at the time as well. Just, just straight up just kill me now. Like Viking funeral? Like did she want to die too or was she just like? <laughs> He's the man of the relationship. Come on. <laughs> so it's like the Viking funeral where it's like, I have to die now and you have to die with me. Yeah. He <laughs> died with honor or whatnot. But oh I thought that gosh. was like the creepiest thing ever because it's just mm. like, this is real life, you know? And this is shit that actually goes on. Um, I'm not too proud of this, but, you know, when high-speed internet became a thing, you know, you would go to websites like rotten.com and you would see what would happen like in third world countries. And I mean, just look at like the fucking Serbian film and whatnot. Like, like this stuff is actually going on. Those ISIS films. Yeah. yeah, yeah like, don't look at that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like red, red rooms are a very real thing. Yeah. The dark web with those red rooms and whatnot. And it's, it's fucked up shit. And that's what scares me because I talked about what natural human instinct is to be afraid of the unknown. I'm afraid of the fucking known. And it's shit like this. Yeah, I, I agree. There is some creepiness to, to to the fact that these are real things. You know, like the movie, um, what's the movie with Denzel Washington in it, Training Day? 
Yeah. Training Day has one of the <laughs> scariest scenes when like those gangsters like Oh, I'm gonna push your shit yeah, in. I'm gonna push your shit in. How are your shit pushing? Like that is one of the scariest scenes. Because we grew because Art and I, we grew up in the fucking hood in the east side, like a Mexican neighborhood like that, where you have crazy ass cholos. Like I remember um hanging out with friends like that. They were and, pushing each other's shit in, yeah. Yes. <laughs> no, um one of the guys, they were playing Russian roulette in a garage. And they were snorting cocaine and doing that. And they're like, hey, you want to give this a try? And I was like, uh, no, guys, I'm actually quite hungry. I need like a- legit playing Russian roulette. Legit playing Russian Live roulette. Live round. Live round. And I'm like, um, Dude. first of all, I don't want to play this. And I do not want to be a fucking party to this shit. I was like bumped straight Ooh. out of there. And this is me wow. like straight up just like 17-year-old me. Not even fucking. Yeah. Ex- that, that shit really happens. Like that's what makes that scene in particular so scary is that. It puts you in that situation like this could happen to anyone. This is a regular guy and he just uh-huh. knocked on the wrong door type of thing. Um, you know, speaking of things that actually really happened, we covered Bohemian Grove on this podcast at one point. There's a movie based on Bohemian Grove called The Conspiracy and it's basically very similar to Alex Jones breaking into Bohemian Grove and filming it. <laughs> so Alex Jones, yeah. Um, and so it's Who basically to play Alex. Jones? <laughs> it's basically a, they chose a pretty good-looking guy to play him. So oh, it's not, nothing on. like God him. Damn it! So it's a skinny guy too. But anyways, um, Danny DeVito. Come on now. What was that? Is it supposed to be him? No, it's not. It's it's oh, you know oh. it's kind of like a mockumentary style though. So it's kind of similar to when he bro- actually broke in. So a lot of yeah. it is filmed with like handheld cameras, and they're breaking in. They capture footage of like actual ceremonies and they're sacrificing someone and then they're basically making their way out and i don't want to spoil the ending but i will because i'm pretty sure you guys will never watch yes. it so um they essentially get caught and at the the final scene is the guy like thinking that he's made it out of it only to realize like he's going to be the final sacrifice to to their like little pagan ritual thing the that cremation they of care but essentially yeah <laughs> <laughs> the 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 cremation of care is one of the funniest things because don't they have like so Walt lame. Disney narrating that shit? So it's Walter like, Matthau. <laughs> it's pretty lame. Like I just remember watching it and being like, "This is what you guys thought was some crazy like satanic ritual." This is like lame. Yeah. <laughs> well, they do walk around naked. There's a bunch of like weird things about that place where weird. they like they like uh ship in like male prostitutes for like <sighs> yeah. all these dudes it's just kind of weird kind of a weird thing hey whatever you want to do but it is kind of weird because it's on taxpayers money so <laughs> yeah i don't know what's more disturbing that or or uh, a talking doll saying you better be nice to me you know yeah i think if, if they remade that film now I think you still have it as a little girl doll, but you give it uh, Samuel L. Jackson's voice. Oh, fuck yeah. <laughs> that would be so much scarier, you know? Oh, my God, yeah. Done. I bet you Samuel would do it, too. He like, he'll like he make any movie. like He'll do anything, yeah. you know? Or at least he used to. Snakes on a plane. I mean. No. Yeah, well, he just did that for the love of it. He just thought, this is so ridiculous. I gotta <laughs> the do love it. of the crap. <laughs> I totally went into that movie, Snakes on a Plane, expecting to be like, oh, okay, this is going to be mediocre at best, right? I totally love that movie. I totally yeah, love good. that movie. It is good. Yeah. I've never I, seen that it, movie. Didn't oh, he put dude. a ton of his own money into it though at the end? I I, I can imagine. <laughs> I can only imagine. Yeah. I heard that like when they found. I don't know if this is true, but I heard that when the the creators of the movie found out that he was actually going to be in it, they tried to like change it and make it better, and he like refused to let them change the name <laughs> from Snakes on a Plane or like try and like no, this is the movie we're making. This is what I signed up for. This is how it has to be. He needs to do a Sharknado movie. That's what he needs to do. Yeah. That would be awesome. I mean, he did Deep Blue Sea. 
Uh, oh, that's better. Movie. That's yeah, so that's, good. Yeah, it's never mind. Pretty terrible. Never mind. <laughs> no, I, I, I. There's a special place in my heart for Deep Blue Sea, dude. The fact that he doesn't get to be in it very long was kind of sad. Yeah, that's that does suck. Do you guys remember the LL Cool J song that he wrote for that? Where he did the shark fin. My hat is like a shark fin. My, my hat is like a shark's fin, which doesn't make any <laughs> sense why his hat is like a shark's fin. <laughs> Hey, bro, that's, that was some legit 90s gangster shark rap. <laughs> uh, no, that's like, shark I'm a rap. dad now rap. That's what that was. <laughs> My hat is like shark's fin. Oh, Dude, so LL Cool G might be listening to this podcast right now. And you're just so. talking trash about his he's, epic song. He's he actually wearing, he's like, God <laughs> damn it. He takes a stupid <laughs> hat. <laughs> I thought it was my hand is like a shark fin. It's his I, hat. Yeah, it's his hat is like a shark fin. We'll that, look it up because it could be wrong. It was fucking 1997 when that came out. So. <laughs> what if he takes that. his hat off and his hair is the same shape underneath the hat? <laughs> like he's just Sharky the dog from Eek the Cat. Oh, I love, I I love Eek the Cat reference. My hat is like a shark's fin. <laughs> what? <laughs> that makes it so much better. I Do mean, you know why we... you were thinking that though? Because I remember his little choreographed move was he had like his little hand up to his forehead. Yeah, so I know what you meant. Oh man! That. But you guys got anything else? No. Can you please play that LL Cool J song as the outro music? <laughs> what you're oh, only wow. allowed like how many seconds of it? Fifteen seconds. Yeah, let's get like fourteen. Just point. the chorus. Yeah, my hat is like shark's fin. Yeah, you got it, dude. So <laughs> if you made it this far into this episode, be on the lookout for that. So. But oh, what about all this stuff? Do you have to talk about? Oh this? yeah, we will talk about that. So, oh, okay. um, like I, I was supposed to do this during the intro, but I fucked up because I was so excited to talk to Sam Sharon again. Again, Sam, mm. thank you so much for coming on. Again, hey, my pleasure. Not bullshitting you, dude. One of my favorite guests of all time, if not my thank favorite you. guest of all time. And do let all us right. know about your podcast, like when it comes out and what it's gonna, you know, everything. Yeah, and we'll put you. Uh, we'll get you into contact with some people to be on the official network for r and jacob do america which is the Podbelly network shout out to the Podbelly network and all the great podcasts i just listened to kim and kit say alive they do a movie review type of thing for halloween 3 season of the witch which is one of the best halloween movies their podcast is awesome because they talk about a a horror movie and then how they would survive it yeah it's it's pretty interesting Uh especially when they don't know like, like you could tell it's their first time watching it because they seem to like horror movies but they're always surprised when like you know, Jason's not in this Halloween version. And I'm like, mm, interesting. Michael Myers. Michael Myers. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Um, anyways, guys, a couple of shout outs. Shout out Elizabeth Jackman. Shout out Elizabeth Warren. Shout out to Fight Back CBD. Go to fightbackcbd.com. Type in America at checkout and let them know Art and Jacob sent you. Uh, basically, all the products are amazing, guys. So shout out to them. But more importantly, uh shout out to caveman coffee please if you guys like the podcast if you guys want to support us if you just drink coffee in general just go to cavemancoffee.com type in america at checkout i've been using the cocoa butter in my coffee because it's so much better than creamer because i'm lactose intolerant and i don't (laughs) like getting the shits at work so i really 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 enjoy that uh jacob has like 20 cans here of the nitro have you been drinking it? I got, I got Jacob the Nitro just because I don't really drink like this extreme kind of coffee. And I do. <laughs> so get the Nitro. I've been giving uh, cans of it out away to uh, people who share our posts on Facebook and Instagram or just in general, just give a shout out. So if you can prove that you are telling your mama and your boo-boo too about our podcast, I am hooking you up with a can of Caveman Nitro cold brew coffee. That shit is delicious. It is um good for you too because it's not full of a bunch of uh 
bullshit that's you know gonna clog your arteries and make you fucking freak out and not want to go to sleep because you're gonna die by freddy krueger's hand or whatnot <laughs> it's not gonna make you kill somebody and put a zebra carcass in a cauldron and uh, a human spine in there to make a concoction no, it's not none of that crazy shit like bang or fucking rockstar or any of that bullshit <laughs> or monster energy drink or whatnot unless they're sponsoring us right mm-hmm. Dude, I would, I would not accept a sponsor from those guys. Here's why. Did you know that energy drinks uh, simulate the feeling with your kidneys of kidney failure every time you drink it? That explains that. a lot of shit, man. So, so your body actually goes through like a mini version of kidney failure every time you put like that much level of sugar and caffeine in there. And when it's cold, it's like even worse. So I didn't know that, but my brother-in-law, he works with a lot of... Uh, uh, like dialysis companies so they were talking about how terrible energy drinks are oh shit so thank you art <laughs> for hooking it up wow. with this uh, this sponsor so yeah caveman coffee it won't fuck with your kidneys like that but it will give you a nice little and joe boost. rogan drinks it so yeah and i'm all about the joe rogan experience so um go to go fucking cavemancoffeeco.com and our promo code america for 15 percent off you don't have to buy the nitro brew coffee you can buy just the regular ass coffee. i drink decaf yeah. I have the decaf at home. Yeah, or you can buy a fucking clever-ass fucking mug that looks like a kettlebell. You My can... girlfriend just got the uh, hashtag pirate mug. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, so, yeah, if you want some really good quality coffee, I do believe they sell tea on there as well, Sam. So if you want to get yourself some tea, uh, save yourself ten or 15% off because uh, that's one thing that just that – like when I see a product and they're like, oh, you can buy it online. I'm like, okay, it's not sold in stores because I don't want to pay for shipping and whatnot. Use our promo code and it'll take care of shipping. It'll take care of taxes and it'll give you a little bit extra off. So you're getting, just for being a fucking loyal listener, one of the millions and millions of Art and Jacob listeners, you get hooked up like that. And if you buy it on a Friday, they have free stuff Friday. So if you buy it on a Friday, which I think tomorrow is a Friday. Yes, I don't know when this episode is going to get released, but if you do buy it on a Friday, you get free stuff with your purchase. Free Flag Friday. Yes, sir. So, Sam, let's pimp you out for a second, sir. What <laughs> I know that you have a, a, a thing going on uh, with Beautiful Bizarre Magazine, correct? Uh, that's right, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, I think... Uh, well, what is it? It's it's an international art magazine um, that they they're running this competition um, of the best sculptures, the best painters, the best digital artists, the best photography, and out of you know thousands of entries, I was picked as one of the twenty five finalists for best digital, um, and it's currently still running, uh, but they just finished the the public people's choice vote, so that's going to be announced next week. Whoever wins, you know, best of luck. Um, but then after that, the uh, the magazine then chooses the actual winners that they've chosen out of everything. But I'm just glad to be involved with it. It's um, it's quite an honor, you know. It's uh, it's a huge exposure to, you know. I think it's half a million subscribers to what they have or followers or whatever. So if anything, it'll just be like, hey, great, a bigger audience. And not only that, make sure you check out your website as well. Uh, you want to pick that for us, sir? Um, you could probably find everything um, through Instagram. Uh, do you ever use that website, Linktree? No, but we will now. Okay, so Linktree is a great place if you have a ton of links and you can't be bothered spelling them all out. Um, so all these links are on this <laughs> thing. Um, so if you, if you type in uh, the word link, uh, all one word, linktr, so L-I-N-K-T-R, dot E-E, so it's like Linktree, but there's a dot after the R, which is really strange, but anyway. 
uh, forward slash Mr. Sam Shearer, and then it's Mr. The Word, M-A-S-D-E-R-S-A-M-S-H-E-A-R-O-N. Or find me on Instagram, wherever. <laughs> and buy some of his beautiful artwork, because I'll say this, too. Yes. I'm not just BSing you here, man. Some of the great, greatest pieces of work I've ever seen. Well, thank you very much. So with that yeah. said, guys, Keith, you got anything you want to pimp? I don't think so. I mean, I'm, I'm not really... You know, a pimp. I feel like pimping isn't easy, and I don't. <laughs> I, I I don't have it right now. I don't have anything to pimp. Oh, okay. Thanks. Art. Uh, just thank you to Sam. Uh, you were you've been great. Thank you so much. I nice to meet you. Um, I didn't come here on the first one. I was going through some shit. I think I don't know what was going on, but uh, thank you for have, for coming on again. It's even even a pleasure, sir. We look yeah, forward to having yeah. you on again, man. And okay. meeting in person still at some point. All right. <laughs> That'll happen. It will happen at some point. I was trying to get you to go to Universal Studios, but yeah, <laughs> I hit that up early. So, yeah. Anyway, Sam, you have a beautiful night, sir. You too. Thanks for the invite. Oh, anytime, man. I'm a- and uh, if I don't speak to you before, have a great Halloween. You too, man. You too. Happy Halloween. Happy shopping. <laughs> Happy sound. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> at least you corrected me. Well, I bid you a, a good night, sir. So, anyways, with all that said, guys, make sure you follow us on everything as well at Art and Jacob everywhere except for on Twitter. We are at Art and Jacob Do A One. So, think of Art and myself um, doing a little cuckold session with a bottle of fucking steak sauce. Um, and make sure you check out our website as well. ArtandJacobDoAmerica.podbean.com, where you'll see blogs by my very handsome and illustrious cousin here. Illustrious. Illustrious. <laughs> Who apparently pimping is hard for. Ah, it's cool. I'll pimp for you, brother. <laughs> so, <laughs> with that said, everybody, have a beautiful night. Have a safe Halloween. Check your candy. Good night. <laughs>